everybody, and welcome back to Sports Coach with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo. And NFL Week 3 began last night with an unexpectedly entertaining, high-scoring barn burner between the Rams and 49ers, with L.A. escaping an admirable San Francisco comeback by a score of 41-39. to And we arguably saw the best game of this young 2017 NFL season last night, but hopefully it is a sign of exciting games to come this weekend. And to help us preview those contests, it is a pleasure to welcome back our good friend, Hal Bent, to the program. Hal covers the Patriots for Scout Media, MusketFire.com, and Cover32.com. Hal, it's great to have you back as always. How you doing? I'm doing great, David. Thank you for having me back. I have a great time here with you every time. You're very welcome, Hal. We have a great time with you as well. And uh, before we get into the rest of week reaction, let's talk about that fascinating game from last night. And looking at the Rams, uh, Sean McVay, at least so far, the returns show that he has done an absolutely incredible job with Jared Goff by surrounding Jared Goff with more weapons to play with in the passing game, like their draft picks, Cooper Cup, Gerald Everett, Sammy Watkins. I'm bringing in Robert Woods in free agency also, also helps. Um, and also it has rejuvenated Todd Gurley to a large degree because Gurley's now getting more use in the passing game. And uh, the use of him in space more often is making him show off more of that talent that he showed um, his rookie year in 2015 when he won the Offensive Rookie of the Year Award. And given the uh, how, the fact that this Rams offense is absolutely loaded, does this unit make the Rams a legit playoff contender? Oh, definitely. I thought the Rams were, you know, a head coach away from being a playoff team to begin with. I think Jeff Fisher in his, you know, outmoded play for 500 uh, strategies really hurt the team the past few years. And even not developing golf in the first half of the season last year, where we saw the immediate payoff with Philadelphia with Carson Wentz, the number two overall pick. So getting in McVay, who's such a dynamic, exciting young head coach, has has rejuvenated that whole team. And if the defense bounces back, that was a big surprise seeing them giving up so many big plays and chunks of yardage. If the defense gets back to its dominating ways, uh, they look like a playoff team who can make some noise come January. Yes, if that defense, especially in the run game, can uh, improve, uh, they're definitely going to give a lot of teams headaches uh, this season. And uh, speaking of young, dynamic head coaches, the San Francisco 49ers have one in their own in Kyle Shanahan. And even though the 49ers are 0-3 and they lost last night, I think there's a lot to be encouraged about with this 49ers team, given the fact that they went into Seattle last week and came this close to pulling off an upset and became millimeters away from pulling off a a, a come-from-behind victory that in in the recent years the 49ers would absolutely not have come even close to pulling off. Uh, And also the fact that Kyle Shanahan is continuing to cook up amazing plays for talents like Brian Hoyer and Pierre Garçon appears to have found the fountain of youth. Uh, and also with the young talent on defense, and they did miss Reuben Foster last night, but obviously Solomon Thomas, uh, he's uh, had a bit of a rough start, but he's still um, um, he's still showing why he was the third overall pick. And DeForest Buckner, their first overall pick in 2016, is, uh, is proving his worth as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of pieces on this 49ers team, and how encouraged should 49ers fans be about the long-term future under the regime of Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch? 
Oh, I think the 49ers fans should be ecstatic. In just one season, they've, you know, general manager John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan have revitalized this team. They've made it young. They've made it exciting. The wins are going to be hard to come by. There's going to be these close losses, but the fact that they're fighting up until the end is a great sign for a team. And with a ton of money available in the offseason as well because of their salary cap situation, they're going to have players excited to go and play for a young, dynamic head coach. So they're in great position for the future in San Francisco. They most certainly are, and especially if they're able to land one of those quarterbacks at the top end of the first round of the draft this coming spring, uh, that should really get 49ers fans amped up because I expect Kyle Shanahan to do wonders with whatever quarterback um, they get their hands on. And now uh, moving on to the rest of the NFL, there are currently eight undefeated teams at 2-0. Well, 10 if you count the Dolphins and Buccaneers, but they don't count uh, here because of that bye first week due to Irma. But let's uh, run down these uh, eight 2-0 teams and determine whether they're a contender or a pretender, starting with the Detroit Lions. Contender or pretender? I'm going to go with pretender here. I think the defense still needs to improve, and they have a lot of holes on that side of the ball. So pretender for now. The Atlanta Falcons, contender or pretender? Oh, definite contender. Uh, that probably um, it makes sense, given the fact that they are the reigning NFC champs after all, and they look like their old selves in their home opener last week. Carolina Panthers, contender or pretender? I'm going to go with a pretender on that one. The loss of Greg Olson is going to be big for the next six to eight weeks, and that offense was struggling to begin with. Absolutely. And how about the Baltimore Ravens, contender or pretender? I haven't made up my mind on the Ravens yet. I'm kind of on the fence. I think it's a legitimate defense. I'd like to see more of it, but I'm concerned with that offense if there's enough there to get that team into the playoffs. Yes, and the loss of their best offensive lineman, their Pro Bowl guard, Marshall Yanda, for the rest of the season due to an ankle injury, I think is going to have a devastating effect on their ability to run the football. And Pittsburgh Steelers, this is a pretty easy one. Contender or pretender? Definitely a contender. Martavis Bryant coming back has taken that offense that was already at a high level to an even higher level. Absolutely. Completely agree. I was, uh, we were talking about Martavis Bryant on the show and how he adds an extra dimension to that already explosive Steelers offense. And the team last week that opened a lot of eyes with a dominating victory over the Dallas Cowboys, the Denver Broncos, the, are they a contender or pretender? I'm going with contender. I love what I've seen of Trevor Simeon and his growth from last season to this season. And, of course, that defense remains dominant. I'm going into the camp of contender for sure for the Broncos. Yes, and a big reason why I think you put uh, contender, not only Simeon's growth, but the fact that they've turned around their run defense and their offensive line, especially in the run game. And that is going to make the Broncos a tough out for anybody who plays them this year. But... They're arguably in the best division in football. Can't can't forget about those Kansas City Chiefs, contender or pretender. Oh, definite contender. Any team that goes into New England and puts on a show like they did, top of the pack contender for sure. I completely agree. And the Oakland Raiders, last but not least, contender or pretender? 
Oh, they're still a contender. I mean, that AFC West is arguably the toughest division in football, and you can see why, because there's three contenders, and the Chargers aren't that bad either. You said it, Hal. The AFC West looks like the best division in football, hands down, right now. And would it surprise you if this turns out to be a three-team race for first place until the very end between the Chiefs, Raiders, and Broncos? Oh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. It, it looked like it was going to be a good battle last year. And, of course, the car injury stepped in and derailed Oakland for a little bit. They looked like the number one seed, and the Chiefs snuck in. And, you know, Denver just had so many offensive problems with that line at the end of the year. But it looks like they've done the work to shore that up. The Chiefs look improved. Oakland's back on track and have Marshawn Lynch. So it's going to be a lot of fun out west this year. It is going to be a lot of fun indeed, and and it'll all begin next week with an interesting matchup between the Raiders and Broncos at Mile High. But for now, let's focus on the rest of these Week 3 games, starting with my two games to watch. And one of my two games that I'm paying the most attention to this week is that match between two of the NFC's three unbeaten team at Ford Field between the Falcons and the Lions. And when you look at this game, I understand why most people are picking the Falcons because they're obviously the team that's had more success in in recent years. But they are down two key players in this game. Their main pass rusher, Vic Beasley, is out for at least the next month with a slight tear in his hamstring. And their right tackle, Ryan Schrader, who's arguably their best offensive lineman, not named Alex Mack, has still yet to clear the concussion protocol, and thus he will miss this game. And they, in his place, they will start Ty Sambrilo, who was an absolute sieve for the Denver Broncos last year against Vic Beasley, obviously, and Justin Houston. And he is facing a guy who just ate Eric Flowers' lunch on Monday night in Ezekiel Ansa. So uh, Matt Ryan has to be shaking in his boots just a little bit. So in your opinion, which absence hurts the Falcons more in this matchup, Vic Beasley or Ryan Schrader? Oh, I'm definitely going to say it's Ryan Schrader. You know, the way Matthew Stafford's been playing, you could take a right tackle out, and he's been getting the ball out. He's been making great reads so far this season. It's going to be tough to to pressure him and get him off his spot and off his game. And Schrader is a huge loss. Like you said, he's arguably their best block pass blocker outside of Alex Mack. Um, and... You know, I had the same notes written down as you did regarding uh, Ty Sembrello there as well. As Geez, I remember him in Denver, and uh, they got to be pretty excited about that in Detroit. Uh, they most certainly do, and the, and uh, Matt Ryan uh, has and that offensive line have to be very careful. They're going to have to put an extra body on that line with Sembrello almost all game, and that could hinder that offense. And who do you have winning this game, and why? Well, I, the Lions are at home, so that gives them a little bit of a boost there. The Lions have some injuries on defense um, as well, so it's going to be close, but I, I'm looking at the home team to pull it out in an upset for the Lions to, to win against the uh, the Falcons, maybe 33-30. to 30. I agree. I have the Lions winning this game 24-21. I think the absences of Vic Beasley and Ryan Schrader proved to be the difference as the Falcons will be unable to put that much pressure on Matthew Stafford, allowing him time to find his weapons. And also Ryan Schrader, the loss of Ryan Schrader, will allow Ezekiel Ansa to make some game-deciding plays on Matt Ryan. And moving on to the afternoon games, the 3 p.m. games, that is, 
uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, we go to Music City, where the Titans play host to a Seahawks team that is struggling right now. So a battle of two one-and-one teams that are still favored to win their division, but uh, the Seahawks come in with more questions because they look at what the Rams did to the 49ers defense outside. They absolutely shredded them while the Seahawks could barely get anything going. They scored 12 points with their first touchdown of the season coming in the fourth quarter of that game. And the Titans have a very weak secondary. So this has to be a game where the Seahawks offense starts to play more to, to its potential. And if this Seahawks offense cannot score 20 or more points this weekend, do you think it's time to panic? Oh, it's definitely time to hit the panic button in Seattle. This offense looks kind of like Cincinnati out there. You know, you've got talent at the skill position players, but when that offensive line breaks down, it doesn't matter who's in those skill positions because if you're not blocking and you're not giving your quarterback time, your offense isn't putting together drives and putting points on the board. You said it, Hal, and the Seahawks' uh, offensive line is going to have their hands full with one of the NFL's most underrated players, and I am talking about Jarrell Casey of the Tennessee Titans. Casey could absolutely wreak havoc this Sunday, and the Seahawks' offensive line better come with a plan against him. Exactly. I mean, you've got a strong defense in in Tennessee. You've got a strong defense in Seattle. This could be the lowest-scoring game um, of the week for sure with these two defenses going up against each other and struggling offenses. Oh, you said it. And this game, I believe, however, is likely to be decided on the strength versus strength battle between the Seahawks defense and Titans offense, especially in the trenches with the Titans offensive line and Seahawks defensive line. And which specific matchup within that battle will you watch the most in this game? Well, I'm going to be looking at the Titans' offensive line. They need to be able to run the ball to put together drives against the Seahawks. You know, the Legion of Boom is is still one of the best defensive secondaries. I would put them right behind the Broncos right now. But they're tough to pass against any time. And with DeMarco uh, Murray questionable, the Titans do have to find a way to get Derrick Henry going and start grinding out some yards, and that's falling right on the the back of their offensive line going up against that strong Seahawks front seven. Absolutely, and when you look at the individual matchups in those trenches, you kind of look at the Titans' two tackles and Taylor Lewan and Jack Conklin having to go against Cliff Averill and Frank Clark. I think those two matchups alone can decide this game. What do you think? Oh, for sure. I mean, Conklin was a revelation last year as a rookie. And if he can hold his own and, you know, keep that dynamic Seattle edge rush from getting to the quarterback, that's how you can move the ball against the Seahawks is keep those guys off the quarterback. Just look to Super Bowl 49 against the Patriots. When the injuries hit Seattle in the second half, they couldn't get the pressure on Tom Brady and he picked them apart. And so if Conklin can hold up and Lewin can hold up and keep those guys off the back of Marcus Mariota, he's going to be able to move the ball, string together some drives, and get enough points on the board. I agree. And who do you have winning this game? I have the Titans at home pulling off a close, low-scoring game against the Seahawks. I have it at 13-10. to 10. I agree, although I have it slightly higher at 19-17, to 17, but I... 
but we're on the same page here. It's going to be a, as Charles Davis, who's calling the game for Fox on Sunday, said on Twitter, this is going to be a big boy, big boy pants type game in the trenches. And that's a big reason why you should all watch the Seahawks and Titans. And once again, he is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen, covers the Patriots for Scout Media, MusketFire.com and Cover32.com. And we thank you once again, Hal, for joining the program and helping us preview another week in the NFL. But before we go, you know the drill. It is time for our rapid fire segment in which we give our game picks for the rest of the games of this NFL week three. And so what we're going to do, we're going to set the timer for five minutes and quickly break down who is going to win and why, starting with the Ravens and the Jaguars in London early in the morning. Well, I'm going to be up early watching this game. I'm expecting the Jaguars to pull off the upset. They're used to playing in these, this time zone here and across the sea. you got two teams with improving defenses, and I like the team that's going to be able to run the ball better in this game. And for me, that's all Fournette. You could very well be right, although I still think the Ravens' defense is going to make life too tough for Blake Bortles by loading the box, and they'll take Fournette away and limit his effectiveness. I expect the Ravens to pull off a low-scoring close one. Broncos and Bills, who do you have? Well, I've got the Broncos going on the road and coming east to beat the Bills. I think the Bills' offense is just not going to be able to get in gear against that Denver defense. They're going to be missing left tackle Cordy Glenn. He's out. They're going to have a rookie, Deion Dawkins, making his first start at left tackle. And against Denver, that's probably the last thing you want to be doing. I agree, although I do think the Bills' defense keeps it close throughout the entire game, and it's a close, low-scoring affair. I think uh, that Bills' offense will not be able to get anything done against the Broncos' defense, and the absence of Cordy Glenn and Marcel Darius on the other side uh, will prove to be the differences. Steelers-Bears, this is easy. Wouldn't you say? Oh. Steelers. <laughs> oh, definitely. I, I, I'd love to find somebody picking the Bears, but... You know, I even if Kyle Long returns and the Bears can even put on 15, 20 points on the board, you know, that like we talked about earlier with that Steelers offense, they're just special this year and it should be a layup for the Steelers. It absolutely should be. And moving to your backyard with the Patriots hosting the Texans. Yeah, this is going to be fun. These teams are almost like division rivals. They see each other so much. The Patriots played them at the beginning of last season. They played them in the divisional round of the playoffs. They were together for a week in the preseason. They had a preseason game against each other and uh, in week two, and now they're playing in week three. Uh, the Texans just have so many injuries in the secondary, and when you have injuries in the secondary and you're playing against Tom Brady, you know that he's got laser focus on finding where, where you're weak there and attacking that player. And I think the Patriots offense is just going to be too much and they'll eventually grind out just like in the divisional round. It will be a close game for a half with the Patriots pulling away in the second half. I completely agree. And we have just two minutes and 15 seconds left. So we're going to have to pick up the pace here. Saints and Panthers. Who do you got? I've got the Panthers taking this game, um, even with the loss of Greg Olson, too much defense in Carolina. Yes, and the New Orleans Saints have no defense, and I think the Panthers' offense gets back on track to some degree this week against that abysmal Saints defense. Uh, a stink bowl, Browns and Colts. 
Browns with the upset, going with the better quarterback, and that's Kaiser. I agree. I am going with the Cleveland Browns and Buccaneers and Vikings minus Sam Bradford again. Yeah, without Sam Bradford, it's a different Vikings offense. I'm going to pick the Bucs on the road. I like the Bucs as well in a low-scoring affair. Dolphins-Jets, another easy one. Let's say it together. Dolphins. Easy, easy, for sure. Yes, Eagles hosting the struggling New York Giants. Yeah, Eagles, this is their home opener, even though it's week three, and, and they've looked good this year, so I'm sticking with the Eagles. I like the Eagles, too. I think their defensive line is too much for that non-existent Giants offensive line. Packers hosting the Bengals at Lambeau. Who do you got? Well, you can't pick against the Packers at Lambeau, and you can't pick a, a Bengals team that can't get in the end zone, and now they're missing Tyler Eifert. Absolutely. Chiefs and Chargers in an AFC West showdown. I think that game's going to be close. Oh, I think it's definitely going to be close, but boy, the way the Chiefs are playing, it's unless Melvin Gordon takes over this game for the Chargers, I'm going with the Chiefs. I like the Chiefs too. That offense will prove too much for that banged up Chargers secondary minus Jason Verrett. Raiders and Redskins from the nation's capital in the Sunday night tilt. It looked like it'd be a great game, but if Jordan Reed doesn't play for the Redskins, which is what it's looking like now, um, I'm going to go with the Raiders. I like the Raiders, too, and also the Redskins are very thin at safety and look for Derek Carr to pick apart the middle of the field with Jared Cook and those other mismatched weapons they have. And last but not least, the Monday night battle in the desert between the Cowboys and Cardinals. I'm looking at Ezekiel Elliott bouncing back against the Cardinals and uh, the Cowboys winning that game. I see the Cowboys winning that game, too, and they're going to be playing with an extra sense of urgency given the fact that the appeals court has agreed to hear the NFL's motion for a stay on the injunction against Elliott's suspension. So the Cowboys have two must-win games ahead of them because they might be without Ezekiel Elliott for a while if the court does rule in the NFL's favor. And that's all for today here on Sports Crutch with D. Crom. But we'll be back next week with a look at week four and what it means for your fantasy team and favorite real team, so stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember that it's Crunch with a K for Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, man in the box. I'm David Cromwell saying so long and a of course, stay awesome.